0: Blog Talk Radio <laughs>
1: Well, good evening and welcome to the Monday, February 27th edition of the Old Dominion Libertarian Radio Network. This is Joe and Rufty inviting you to join us for the next hour or so. I'm here with a full house tonight, Andy Craig, Jeff Kleb, and Jeffrey Sanford. Gentlemen, how are you?
0: Good evening. Doing great. Looking forward to it.
1: So I figured out, guys, how to get everybody to show up on time. And that is to invite Nick Sarwark on the program.
0: <laughs> so
1: I think we're going to do that from now on,
0: and we oh, don't yeah. have any
1: problems. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good
2: idea. Oh, God, aren't so equally great?
1: Yeah, we're going to – normally we have a little bit of discussion before we invite our guest on tonight, but – I don't want to hold him up, and I'm sure he's got a lot of things um, to discuss with us. So I'm going to bring him on the program now, and we can do the discussion afterwards. So just to uh, set this up a little bit for those who are listening for the first time, our guest tonight is Nicholas Sarwark, chair of the Libertarian National Committee. If you watched uh, the the, uh, convention in Orlando over – Uh, C-SPAN This past May And you saw him chairing The festivities And uh, we're going to have him on now To talk about the Libertarian Party um, Of course The current president And a bunch of other things So let me get his microphone on here Uh, Good evening Nicholas How are you?
3: I'm doing great, how are you guys?
4: Hey, Hey, good evening sir
1: How's everything so going? why don't we start?
0: Thank you. For why don't
1: why don't we start first of all by um, getting you to tell us what you think of all this stuff that's going on with Donald Trump?
3: Uh, you're gonna have to be more specific than
0: that. Well <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well,
3: I'll, I'll start it out with a little bit more specific. So uh, tomorrow, we, he's got his speech before Congress. And uh, supposedly his big centerpiece of it is jacking up military spending by 10% and maybe cutting elsewhere to pay for it, but we're not really clear on that yet. So what, what do you think we'll see from the, uh, the buffoon going before Congress this first time? I mean, that's pretty much a terrible idea, um, raising military spending in an era where – we want to try and stop intervening overseas is a horrible idea. This idea that somehow you can make America great through uh, sending more Americans over to die in other countries' civil wars makes no sense to me. And you're right. The way it's going to be set up is we'll have a lot of spending now, and then we'll have, quote, unquote, proposed proposed cuts that usually they set, you know, years out in the future uh, so someone else can not do them. Right. Well, what do you think of the spin he's put on this and that, I mean, some libertarians have kind of had a positive reaction to, which is that, you know, he doesn't like all the nation building and he condemns all the, you know, Iraq and all the years of war in the Middle East. He still wants to crush ISIS, but beyond that, Kind of, it's weird. He's pitching a military spending on a non-interventionist policy shift, at least rhetorically. I mean, I think you and I both don't, you know, think it goes beyond rhetoric. But what do you make of that? How, How does that work? I mean, you know, you don't buy a big truck to not go out and drive a big truck, and you don't throw billions of dollars at a military to not use them. That's just You know, it doesn't pass the laugh test. So I don't understand how anyone could be libertarian and see an increase in military spending above, you know, the fact that we spend more on our military than I think it's the rest of the world combined. Um, I don't see how any increase in that would be necessary for us to not intervene. You know, you don't have to have a huge military to not Go intervene places. You can you can actually do that with a small one. But.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what do you think about? Go ahead, Jeffrey.
2: I was just going to ask him uh, what he's been doing as far as traveling to these other states. What's he seeing out there? Uh, I saw he went to L.A. the other day, and uh, is he is he keeping up his busy travel schedule? To help all these different states with their with their uh, meetings, or or what's going on out there in terms of what what you're into these days, Nick.
3: You know, I'm seeing just everything's happening everywhere. You know, I was in uh, Michigan at the beginning of the month, or they they had a special convention that they were required to do because they were so successful um, with Johnson's vote totals that they've moved to the next level of political party within Michigan law. Uh, I actually bumped into Congressman Amash at the airport on my way out of Grand Rapids. And then over in L.A., they had the 8th Annual Southern California Libertarian Conference, which is always well-attended and very exciting. You know, there's a lot of positive things that came out of the Johnson campaign, and you know, met with some donors who were excited about you know, new projects that the Libertarian Party is doing, and, you know, just been
2: everything's coming up, know.
3: Libertarian Party. Uh
2: huh. I mean, do you, uh, what's your, what's your schedule like? You spending any time in Arizona or are you always on the road? Um, you know, no, I, I'm, I'm actually in Arizona right
3: now. Uh, I just got back Sunday afternoon, and I, I'll have a little bit of time at home. Um, you know, my April's real busy. I think I have almost every weekend out of town. Uh, I'm going to Pennsylvania for their convention. And I'm going to be in Wisconsin. I just got my flight details for that. So um, I keep pretty busy. Yeah,
2: I
1: know. I That's, can't uh, complain. Amazing
2: schedule. amazing schedule for a man with a family and a business. I don't
1: know how you do it. <laughs> well, I, I have a question that um, someone wrote into the program and asked and that is can can you kind of give us a rundown of exactly what the Gary Johnson campaign did for the Libertarian Party in terms of building the party for the future
3: um sure so the the first thing which can't be um understated is you know something like 4.2 million votes And over 3% of the popular vote, uh, which is uh, a tripling of our previous record in the last 45 years. Um, And that was being on the ballot in all 50 states. And just bringing in so many new people and providing a credibility to the party. You know, we have never covered the spread in a national election before. Uh, And when you cover the spread in a national election... All of a sudden, you know, for 2020 and the 2018 midterms, we're seen as more of a threat. We're seen as as a a factor in the race. We're not going to be discounted in the way that, you know, to be frank, you could discount the Green Party and say, well, really, they don't matter at all. Um, That's not an option anymore. You know, the reality has shifted. There's just tons of people I run into, you know, at this conference – there are probably 70 people in the room and probably a good 10, 15 of them had never been to a libertarian meeting before in their lives. Um, but they got excited about the Johnson campaign. They got involved, they volunteered, they, they worked the polls or they gave some money. And now we're seeing a lot of those people when we reach out to them and say, you know, the libertarian parties here all the time, not just in presidential election years, they're eager to get involved and see how we can grow. So that's the biggest thing is, you know, it really has energized both people who had been in the party for years or decades, but also brought in a lot of fresh faces of people who, you know, didn't maybe even know that the libertarian party existed and that that was a great way for them to learn about it.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to ask you a question and you don't, you can decide whether or not you want to answer it because it's about a specific person Um, There's a radio show host um, similar to us. He has a podcast, Jason Stapleton, who keeps repeating over and over again. I mean, he does it on just about every show that the Libertarian Party should not be claiming what the Johnson campaign did as a success. And I have contacted them uh, 200 times to tell them that I have a way that they can win in 2020, but they won't get back to me. And my thought on that is, if he really has a way that we could win and he really wants to help us, why isn't he telling it um, on his program so that we can hear it? What do you think about something like that?
3: Um, he could be right. You know, maybe he does have a solution for how we can win in 2020 that none of us have, have seen, that an idea that no one else has come up with. Um, <laughs> I don't... I don't know. Um, I I haven't been contacted by him personally, or at least if I have, I I haven't noticed that email in my box. Um, But, you know, I think as far as having a plan for how we can win in 2020, if it's related to the presidential campaign, you should probably be talking to people who are willing to seek the presidential nomination in 2020. You know, uh, such as a person one might run into in the airport in Grand Rapids, just an example out of nowhere. Just, you know, that's a possible person. There's a lot of possible people. But as I would remind the media and I reminded delegates back uh, in the run-up to Orlando, the national office or, you know, the national committee members, we don't control who the the nominee is going to be and we don't control what how they run a campaign or what strategy they use or any of that stuff. So to the extent he has some sort of magic bullet, he should probably be selling that to a candidate who has to then sell it to the, the convention delegates. Um you know saying that you the party can't claim success from the Johnson campaign, I just that's a new one for me. I, I don't understand <laughs>
2: Ridiculous. Um. So what's up with the
3: the, uh, 2016 campaign? We had a recent victory, and I assume it's going to go to appeal or something now. What's up with the Level to Playing Field lawsuit uh, on the debates? um, So basically, uh, the the quick rundown, Level the Playing Field is an organization that's run by Peter Ackerman, um, who – is a business person. He's run Level the Playing Field, and before that, uh, Americans Elect. You know, he has this dream of having an independent candidate like Michael Bloomberg. But part of that is he does work to try and make a system in which an independent candidate like Michael Bloomberg could actually be competitive. So he asked us to join as plaintiffs um, in a lawsuit against the Federal Election Commission to force them to change their rules to prohibit this bipartisan campaign commercial that the Commission on Presidential Debates runs. Well, the <laughs> FEC responded to our mountain of evidence with a very um, content-free dismissal of, of our request for a rulemaking and said, sorry, you know, Pat Buchanan said something about this back is running for the Reform Party. We said no then, we're saying no again. And the district court judge in D.C. looked at that and said, you know, I'm supposed to give the agency deference when they make a finding, but what I'm looking at, I'm not convinced you even looked at any of their evidence and made a finding. Uh, So you have to go, you have 30 days. I think they got an extension. They get like 60 days to actually go through our evidence and, you know, come up with real findings about why we should either get a new rule or we shouldn't get a new rule or any, something like that. Um, if you don't practice in this area of law, you don't realize quite how much of a judicial smackdown it is for an agency in a in a proceeding like this to be told that they have to go back and do their homework right. The opinion was um, pretty it's a big deal. and brutal. Yeah. yeah. The so. opinion was not kind to the FEC at all or the uh, commission. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, you know, we could still get screwed. We've been screwed in these kind of cases before, but it's always, you know, this is like when I clerked for the Institute for justice, we had this philosophy that we're not supposed to win a lot of these cases. So we're very excited when we do have a win and we don't take it so hard when we get screwed by, you know, a rigged system.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you think about all these um, Republican elected officials across the country that are refusing to attend uh, town hall meetings? And to be specific, there was one guy in Texas, I think it was Louis Gomert, who was asked why he wouldn't attend a town hall meeting. And he gave some comment about, because look what happened to Gabby Giffords. I don't want that to happen to me or something like that. And I mean, he's supposed mm-hmm. to be a big Second Amendment guy, and <laughs> and he says that.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that's about yeah, I mean, right. That you know, they a lot of these uh, candidates around here have been, have been protested when they when they did show up, and then uh, my old nemesis Scalise, he scheduled one on the telephone for everybody and then gave them the wrong number. So <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're
3: they're cowards. I mean, that's. That's it, you know if you, if you can't you can't take some people yelling at you, like Justin Amash said uh, on twitter you, you should find a different job. This is not the right job for you right if you're not willing to talk to your own constituents and you know talk to people who don't agree with the positions you take and you know them yell at you a little bit, you need a different job um.
2: I don't know. I noticed he That's, sat through he, he sat through a pretty tough meeting or two there, with the town hall meetings. But he seemed like he said they said he stayed longer and, and right. you know, took his time and made it through it. But I mean, he's got yeah. he's got a record he can be proud of.
3: People have stuff to say, and you know, it's funny. I, I saw somebody at the um, Democratic National Committee meeting. Uh, I watched a little bit of the live stream from my hotel room while I was in LA and there was a guy talking about how he was door knocking in Missouri. um, And he ran into a guy who just didn't agree with him, you know, and he tried to find common ground. He's like, Nope, just don't agree with you. I think it was on voter ID or something. And at the end of the little, you know, the talk while he's door knocking, the guy says, you know, I don't agree with you on this issue. I think you're totally wrong on it, but you know, I respect that you have a position and it's well thought out and you seem like an upstanding guy, you know, and so I'm going to vote for you anyway. And that's, hmm. that's the sort of that's thing that, you know, fun. you can, you can get that sort of interaction, but the first step to that is you have to actually interact with your constituents. You can't be afraid to even be in the same room with them. Yes. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, that's, I mean, the, yeah, yeah, that, that's the truth. You know, that, that's used the, that's
3: to be the, the status quo. Yeah, yeah. It used to be the case that um, the Capitol building itself, and a lot of state capitals are still this way, but the U.S. Capitol used to be that way. Where it was a public building. Anybody could go walk into it and go knock on your congressman's office door. And, of course, now it's all behind 18 layers of security bubble, and, you know, they have these little groups to get quickly escorted through the rotunda,
0: and that's it.
3: Um I mean, that's one of the things. I, this is a point that I've brought up before. I don't know a lot of libertarians sometimes disagree with it, but I think we should have more representatives in smaller districts because the scale of it has gotten so unmanageable that something is lost. I mean, it's not genuinely local with it. 700,000 people sprawled across, you know, the quarter of the state.
4: But, you know, if we had done that, if we had kept our representatives, the House of Representatives, proportional to our population, wouldn't we have, like, 5,000 congressmen?
0: It's not that many. Five. It would
3: be, like, one or 2,000. Yeah, but there's. it would be large. But, I mean, I don't know. It would be workable. You Maybe you wouldn't even have to send them to D.C. Let them just vote over the Internet from home.
4: Yeah, be, yeah the longer be you keep them out idea. of D.C., the less corrupt they get.
3: uh, Something I wanted to ask you about I've seen you post on Facebook about it And mention it Um, I know you're a a Fan, adherent, I don't know You can tell me the right word Of um, stoicism um, And you know like actual Classical Greek stoicism Um, And I wonder how that kind of Helps feed into I mean you're, you're I think one of the things you're known for is keeping an even keel in a party and a movement that's very filled with fighting and drama and all the rest of it um, that sometimes I'm as guilty of as anybody else. Um, but let me just kind of have – does that have any connection to libertarianism for you, or how does that, how's that work? I think it does. Um, I mean, I think it has a connection for me because I'm a libertarian. You know, uh, stoicism, for those who don't know, is um, a classical philosophy. It's it's one of a type of what are known as virtue ethics. So your utilitarianism, for example, is based on, you know, do we have the most good for the most number of people? And it's it's kind of tied to, to stuff. Virtue ethics and stoicism in particular is kind of detached from stuff, um, similar to maybe Buddhism or Taoism. The, the whole idea is that What is good in life is to to live your life with integrity, to be honest, to fulfill your duties as, you know, a husband or a father or a citizen, or, you know, if you end up being Marcus Aurelius, an emperor, you have to do your job and you have to do the right thing. You know, you have to be honest with other people. You have to to fulfill those duties. And that's what's good. And what's bad is to lie or to cheat or to, to fail to fulfill those duties. And everything else that everyone gets so caught up in, you know, houses and cars and whether you have a, the job you wanted to get or get to go to the school you wanted to go to or, you know, whether you win the lottery, all of that stuff is referred to as indifferent because it's outside your control. You don't get to control whether or not somebody gives you a job. You don't get to control whether or not the government changes the tax code or whether or not Donald Trump becomes the president. And so you just let that stuff slide as, you know, it's something that doesn't affect who I am. It's not good or evil. It's just a thing that happens. How I respond to it, how I act, is what's important. You know, and that, that piece of it helps me maintain the even keel. The other piece that fits in with libertarianism is Stoicism believes that there really are no bad people in the world. There are people who do bad things, but if they're doing something bad or evil, it's because they are misinformed and think that it would be good for them. Um, The famous example is Epictetus had uh, his lamp. This is back when you had lamps out on your porch. Um, It got stolen one night. It was a brass lamp, and so he went and he replaced it with a clay lamp, and then the clay lamp got stolen, and then he just didn't replace it anymore. And somebody said, well, isn't this terrible? You know, somebody stole your lamp. And he said, well, you know, I lost the lamp and, you know, the person who took it lost his honor. And he thinks that that was the better trade. You know, that, that there's a misperception by the person who would steal something that his honor is worth having a lamp. That having a lamp is something that's better than being an honest person. And because they're misinformed, that's why they do the bad thing. Um, but, you know, that that kind of outlook on the world um, lets you lets you believe in people in a way that I think is necessary to be a libertarian. And it lets you find the good in other people, you know, that, that if somebody's not doing the right thing, it's not because they're bad. It's because they just don't know what the right thing is. You know, that's part of the reason that I like to say that, you know, not everyone's a libertarian yet, but I think everybody has the capacity to be. Um, they just may not. And I think that's one of the still under, it's still kind of percolating through and getting out there, but I think one of the biggest uh, libertarian contributions has been what's kind of confusingly called public choice economics. That is this right. whole... Um, you know i mean i i like to boil it down to in modern terms don't hate the player hate the game um, right which is, is a very good is kind of a, a a very apt summary of it which is it's all about the incentives and it's all about the situations we put people into that drives how they react to it um, uh, and i think it 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 really it it drives home that same sort of approach to it because I mean, I think we've both seen examples of people who have this idea of oh, libertarians are this enlightened and persecuted tiny minority, and the benighted masses will never uh, be as good as us kind of mentality, and that can lead to very dark and unproductive places.
2: It also doesn't do anything for gathering a following, you know. I mean, you know, a lot of people, uh, not a lot, but I've run into that, you know, online in our discussions. People who like sort of look at us Or at least they tease me and say Oh y'all are just, just Smarter than everybody else or something like this And that's just you know, <laughs> its not true Just because you know something other people Don't know doesn't make you any smarter It's just that so we <clears throat> learned this
0: already
3: Right well And and here's the If I mean just You just play it out in your mind right This is the, the strategic aspect <clears> of <throat> politics You know, if you say, look, we're right, other people are wrong, and they're too stupid to understand it, that the majority of the population are are a bunch of sheep who are just going to do whatever makes them happy and, you know, eat the bread and watch the circuses, and they're hopeless, and they're just going to follow whatever their masters tell them, well, where does that go? You know, if you've discounted the ability of other people to reason, if you've discounted their ability to change, and assume that they're incapable of doing anything other than responding to their basest instincts,
0: the conclusion
3: is, well, then don't bother to try because it's not going to be beneficial. Like why would you waste your time? And that is the kind of self-talk that may make you feel good when you're sitting around having a beer with all the other people who are enlightened and not just massive sheep, but you know, you're just engaging in a, a, a circle jerk. Um, if you look at it the other way... Uh, exactly
1: yeah, what I
3: was thinking. If you look at it the other way... I went from Epicurious to Circle Jerk, by the way. Yeah, I try and paint a word picture. If you look at it the other way as, you know, these are people who care about their families, they care about their businesses, they care about, you know, they want to have a good life. That's That's the stoic ideal again, is everybody wants what they think is best for them, some people maybe have a misperception about what's best. They may have a wrong time horizon. They may assume that something will be good for them when in fact it's bad. I mean, like take the example of fast food from McDonald's, right? It's not healthy for you, but it tastes good. And so if you, if you perceive it from a taste perspective, you think that's good when in fact it's not. I, if you have this belief that people do the things they do, for what you could consider to be rational reasons, right? They, 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 they want something good for themselves or their families, and that's why they do the things they do. Then if you can present libertarian ideas in a way where you show that these are going to lead to something good for yourself or your family, these are the things that are going to lead to something that you want, then they're convincible. And then we end up with a bigger group, and then we actually start growing, and, yes, then we have to deal with the fact that we don't always win every election. You know, we don't put someone in every office. But if we can maintain that growth and keep talking to people and keep being open to the conversation. You know, I had a, an incredible experience. I was up in Washington State. Uh, I think it was 2016, early 2016. And I was speaking at the state convention up there. It was great. Uh, there were a lot of really great speakers like Tim Moen and Freeway Ricky Ross. And they let me speak, too. Um, And at the end of the convention, you know, we're all milling around about to go to a bar or, you know, whatever. Um, This guy comes up to me and says, hey, um, Nick. And I was like, Michael Byrd? like, yeah. This is a guy who I went to college with back in the 90s. Um, And we used to have these discussions about stuff in the dorm and he came up to me and he said, you know, I just wanted to come up. I saw you were going to be in town. Um, This libertarian thing is really making a lot of sense to me. A lot of those conversations we had really resonated. I just want to get involved. I want to help out. You know, we're talking not quite, not quite, but pushing on 20 years later. Um, That's, that's what can happen when you talk to people on a, on a level of respect um, on a level of valuing the other person and and not trying to destroy them in argument or prove that you're right, but really listening to what it is they have to say, talking about your views about, you know, what would be best um, and being open to continuing that conversation. It pays off over time. Um, It's harder. Than yelling at people, it, it's not as immediately satisfying as you know saying I I really
2: got that guy.
3: But if you really want to change the world, it's a lot more productive.
2: So, Don't you feel like the, the stoic attitude uh, is, is attracts candidates to run as libertarians? Do you do you see uh, do you see that? Uh, as a, as a, as an application of this Of this Of this philosophy of stoicism I mean because I know when I ran The first time I was like I felt like I had a duty To run nobody else Knew what I knew if I didn't run nobody else Would say what I said And all of the same old Suspects would be up there trying to just Run a line on everybody And um, that Really hit home when you talk about stoicism Which I haven't Necessarily been a big fan of but It's true. The duty calls people to run for office as a libertarian. Right. It's helpful on both ends because one,
3: you know, you you see your duty to to your, your community or to your society and that leads you to run. But also, you know, the way you judge what you did when you ran is based on what you were able to control your your success is defined by what you did or didn't do by how you were able to exercise your own duties it's not defined on whether or not the voters voted for you you know whether or not you actually took the oath of office you know if if your opponent spent 20 times as much money and lied about you which has happened to a libertarian candidate or two in the past that wasn't in your control you know, how you responded to it's in your control, whether or not you maintained a steady keel is in your control, you know, whether you did your best is in your control, but you don't control other people. And so you can, you can come out of that election satisfied that you would exercise your duties and able to go and run again in the next election and do better. You can't do that if you define your success by things outside of your control because what you're doing is you're giving the keys to your opponents to tell them how to break you you know if you say for example that um my campaign is going to be over if i don't get into this i don't know televised debate if you say that out loud Well, then the people who run the televised debate, all they have to do to try and spike your campaign is not let you in. So if you define success as something they control, then they're going to control it to make you fail. If you tell them, look, you know, I want to be in. I'm going to try and be in. I'm going to do everything I can to to meet the criteria to get in. But, you know, I recognize that you guys cheat, and I'm not going to stop whether you let me in or not. That's a different way of phrasing. Probably the same attitude, but it's a lot better for your morale because you're not saying someone else has the power to make me fail. That it's, make a
2: sense? Never, it's a never-stop, a never-say-die attitude. I mean, I'm going to win at all costs. We're coming and we're not stopping. And, you know, and if, you, if you throw out there that you can be tripped up with a, a triviality, you just destroyed your whole, like you say, morale. You destroyed the energy of victory. Right. Well, and,
3: and this is the thing is you're, what you're telling them is you're not defined by odds or by your chance of victory. That that essentially there's a, there's a group of public defenders I worked with who had um, bracelets made and they had a Latin phrase on them, which I don't remember. But the phrase was, there is honor in the fight. And that's the piece of the puzzle that makes us so powerful as opponents and actually frightens the old parties is we are, not, we are not going to cower or withdraw from the field because you tell us that the odds are overwhelming or that we're going to lose. I mean, this is the problem that people have in so many districts. If it's a heavily Republican district, the Democrats unwilling to fight for them Because they know that the odds are against them Or if it's a heavily Democratic district The Republicans unwilling to fight for them Because they know the odds are against them And what they want is power They want to take that office They want to use that power In order to to give favors to their friends The Libertarian runs Not for power The Libertarian runs to empower The individuals in his community To give voice to those people Who just want the freedom to live their lives The way they want to And that voice has to be given voice to, regardless of the odds. Even if I'm going to lose by 30 points, there's honor in the fight, and the fact that we'll stand up and fight, in spite,
2: in spite of the odds. The fact that you're not, you know, we're going to win. We're going to win, Nick, and that's the beautiful thing. Because most people don't fight for a living. You're a lawyer, so you've been out there fighting a living every day, pro fighter, you know. Most people are not professional fighters. Most people don't have that experience of stepping out there, I'm going to have to fight this fight because it's time to fight it. Bam, 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 you just fight it to the death. And you win some of them. You win plenty of them. You do.
3: You do, and that's the thing. You win by not being – you're unwilling to be defeated by someone telling you that winning is very unlikely. And you say, fine, okay, that's fine, I'm fighting anyway. And they'll say, but, but you'll, we'll off-spend you 20 to 1. It's like, all right. You know, it's uh, the famous thing that the Spartans said. The the arrows, our arrows will, will blot out the light of the sun. And the Spartan general replies, fine, we'll fight in the shade. You know, that, that kind Amen. of swagger is more powerful your- than having all the money.
2: You so You can't win unless you have it. Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to switch gears
3: real quick from kind of high-minded philosophical stuff to a bit of current news. Um, so uh, SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk announced today, just earlier, he's reading about it, that uh, they've planned uh, a couple of unnamed billionaires have paid them – you know, fifty million dollars or whatever it is, and they're going to get shot around the moon next year on one of SpaceX's uh, things. And so this, I posted this article, and of course you probably know where this is going—the inevitable libertarian discussion about, you know, is that sort of thing, crony capitalism, is Elon Musk and kind of related with Tesla and his other projects a crony capitalist, or on the other hand, he seems to see himself as a kind of libertarian. Pro-market, pro-capitalist I'm privatizing this, The obsolete government bureaucracy and Making it better um, I don't know, It's kind of an example That applies across the board To privatizing large government-owned things But this kind of seems to crystallize the, the point For a lot of libertarians And I've seen a lot of you know Good, honest ones come down On both sides of it So what what do you think of that whole kind of Conflict on how we move through privatization and accusations of oh that person's erroneous or that sort of thing. Uh, I kind of come back to something you said earlier, which is don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, <laughs> the, the people that are in business are in business to make money, right? That's that is what we do. Um, and you can try to to live your ideals to the point where. You refuse. I, know, I mean, I know people that refuse to take any government contracts at all. I know other people who take government contracts and then, you know, feel like they're doing some penance by giving money to libertarian causes. I know people who take government contracts and really don't care about the, the ethics of that. You know, everybody has their own path um, and their own standards for it. You know, I think if Elon Musk can get us back to the moon, Faster than NASA can get us back to the moon, then go Elon Musk. You know, all things being equal, taxation is theft. But there's some theft that I worry about more than others. And space exploration's never really been high on my priority list. Um, I, I've always thought that was a pretty cool thing. So, more power to it. A him, great
2: book. A, a great book about the uh, crony capitalism thing is Schindler's List. They go into great mm-hmm. uh, detail of describing how Schindler got these government contracts to put all these people to work. And that's a that's really what it's all about. Honestly, I feel like, you know, if you wanna if you want to talk about crony capitalism, Andy, read Schindler's list.
0: <laughs> right. Well, yeah.
2: well
3: I <clears throat> for corruption is that is that in a system like you know, the Soviet system, corruption is what greases the wheels so people don't starve. Right.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Well I um I have just two questions. I think this these will be the last questions of the night. Um one is from directly from me and the other is from a listener. Um the listener writes in to me and says that um he and his wife have a different opinion of the open borders situation. He is in favor of it, she is not. Um they both voted for Gary Johnson, she did so only because the other two candidates were so bad um his question is how can how can the libertarian party appeal to both people who are in favor of open borders and those who are not and after you answer that i'll get to my question
3: um that is a tricky one so the libertarian platform is one that embraces free migration of people um and that comes down to kind of first libertarian principles that individuals have rights and those rights are not dependent on where it is they had the the fortune or misfortune to be born. So there, there shouldn't be you know your right to move freely as long as you're a peaceful person who's not threatening other people shouldn't be impinged upon by governments um, just because you know you're on the other side of a border that said there are a lot of things that we can talk about uh, you know about our current immigration system as things that would be better under a libertarian system you know, for example my thought on on practical ways to deal with the border situation would be that we would have uh, essentially shall issue entry visas so that if you were someone from some other country who wanted to come to the United States, you would pay a fee of, I don't know, we'll pull $5,000 out of the air and fill out a very simple form, uh, you know, with your identifying information to a simple background check, pay that fee. And then it would be the presumption would be that you get to come into the country. You get to enter the country in order to be here, to work, to, you know, try and make a better life for yourself and it would be up to the government, they would, have to, they would have to prove some reason why you couldn't come in. The advantage of that, even if you're the sort of person that wants our country to be more secure, is usually when people want to close the borders, a lot of them aren't anti-immigration. A lot of them are more pro-security. They're worried about people coming into the country that you don't know are here, some of whom might want to do us harm. And that's a, that's a real concern that we need to, to grapple with. Right now, with our closed border system and our immigration quotas, we have what are called coyotes people who drive panel trucks through the desert or you know swim people across the Rio Grande or you know do umpteen different ways to smuggle other human beings into the country that we have no idea that they're here. We have no record that they came over here oftentimes. People are left to die in the desert, and these coyotes are usually part of organized crime. So organized crime is getting funded—you know, five, ten, twenty thousand dollars a pop. It's just—it's a terrible system all around. So, you know, the worst expanding—they
2: fall out of the landing gear of an airplane,
3: right? And all these things, but expanding the ability for legal immigration, really expanding that out would allow us to have more security because we would know who was coming here. You know, it's kind of like with, um, Napster, you know, people used to pirate music on the internet a lot. And when iTunes came out and made it like 99 cents to get your song, the cost of trying to steal the music became more of a pain in the ass than just spending the dollar. And so people complied because it was no longer an onerous restriction so I think, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of opportunities to have a good conversation about why it is people have, you know, views that maybe are not in line with the platform. But the, the bigger point is she still voted for Gary Johnson and still should have, because even if she totally disagrees on that one issue, the other candidates are worse. You know, she agrees with him more. And that's where we need to get to with our libertarianism when we talk to people is let's not focus on the fact that maybe there's this issue where she's out of line with our platform. Let's talk about the things that we can agree on um, and see if we can find enough areas of agreement that we come together for what we can can work together on.
4: Nick, that's and a very part. good yeah. point. That's a very good point. That's like Ronald Reagan used to say, 90% my friend doesn't make you 10% my enemy. And I I have a lot of reservations about the, it's not really open borders, but the, perception that libertarians are favoring open borders but libertarians also oppose the welfare state it's just that you can't have them both together and it's very hard to try to convince people of that you know that you can you can have an open border and get rid of a welfare state if you keep bringing more people in who are potential clients of it it gets you know it kind of becomes a sticky wicket but i try and concentrate on saying look Let's have lower taxes. Let's have less regulation. Let's have more of a free market. Let's fix our economy, make it better, and grow so that we actually will need more labor. Instead of right. you know exporting jobs and importing labor at the same time, that's going to prove to be an exercise in futility, and you're never going to be able to sell that to most American people. <laughs> yeah, and we actually yeah. have a net
3: outgo of, of – undocumented immigrants over the last decade or so, because, you know, most yeah. people who come to the country, they come here to get jobs. And so if our economy goes into decline or, you know, we have these immigration crackdowns, people leave or, you know, their family yeah, members who here, they yep. don't, don't come because it's not good anymore. Uh, and uh, and that's no in trabajo, the no dinero. That, by the way, that, that, more more Mexican nationals have been going from the U.S. to Mexico than vice versa for a decade now,
0: and yet we right. just
3: had this big wave of Trump being elected on freaking out about immigrants. Like, objectively, right. American right. speaking, the United States is not experiencing any wave of mass migration right now. We actually have a huge migration.
4: There's a huge amount of people who are actually going to Canada right now because right. they're flowing northward Absolutely. across the Canadian border, so – you know, to Trudeau seems up. Yeah, Tr- Trudeau seems to uh be in favor of open borders and they sort of have a semi welfare state up there, so he's gonna draw a lot of people up there, so maybe that'll put you know, maybe that'll put a little bit of an ease on us if a lot of Jeff, people I don't up bullshit. there. Bullshit. I'm gonna
2: call it bullshit on that. People don't go somewhere <laughs> to get a welfare system. They go somewhere to have an opportunity to work and earn and make money and be rich. That's why. No, America but I mean, they have the they, they, they have
4: they have free health care up there, and a lot of people are going to be drawn to that. Uh, Not you you or me, but
3: a lot
0: of people will be.
3: You know, the other thing Canada has, while Trudeau is making a big show of welcoming migrants, is Canada will actually turn people away for medical reasons. If you have an expensive medical condition, you'll be denied a visa to enter Canada because of it. They actually do like an economic – so that's, you know, kind of – the flip side of, oh, look how Canada is welcoming migrants and stuff, they actually do turn people away on the, uh, you know, no, you'll be too expensive to our state run health care system. That's the right. disadvantage um, it, of socialized single,
4: medicine. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah. Well, system, my. You know, the, the payer is going to have a problem with paying too much. And, you know, the reason that we don't do that correct. in this country is, yeah, well, I don't think we're going to get well, to the I, bottom of this issue.
1: Yeah, I have one one last question for you, Nick, and then we'll let you go. Um, All right. I I, I believe it was at the CPAC speech over the weekend when uh, all those people showed up and started waving um, Russian lookalike flags when Trump came out to give his speech, which I thought was hilarious. But um, Trump made a comment about Sweden and he said, Look what happened in Sweden just last night and of course immediately um people started saying, Yeah, I mean Sweden was saying nothing happened last night and then they listed off all these mundane things that went on during the night that happen everywhere, every day. And But the thing that got me was that Fox News on Bill O'Reilly, they had this guy on that was supposed to be working. He was supposed to be like the national security advisor for Sweden, and he was talking about how bad the immigration problem is over there. And then the some guy from the Swedish government actually shot back and said, no, the refugees have made Sweden a better country. And I'm just – I guess my question is, how is it that – Well, first of all, do you think that Trump is saying these things and he knows they're not true, or do you think he's just being told this and he goes with it? And and the the second part of my question is, um, why isn't there more of an outrage, do you think, from even his own people when they can plainly see what he's doing?
3: Oh, man, a lot to unpack. So um, I'm (laughs) heartened to hear that there's still – they're still having CPAC. Uh, I didn't know that that was still a thing, but you know, good <laughs> luck to them.
0: <laughs> um,
3: it sounds like I did see some pictures of the the, the false flag operation. I thought that was hilarious. Um, you know, the I don't, near as I can tell, the the president's relationship with the truth is not one of it's almost like he's separate from the truth. You know, I don't think he tries to lie, but I don't think he cares whether he does. Uh, I think that he, (laughs) he tends to say things that are, that are chosen for the effect upon the listener, regardless of the truth of the matter asserted. Um, It's a hearsay exception, actually, if you, if you practice in court and that's, kind of that's the reason why he doesn't get pushed back from his supporters because the things he says they don't care so much about whether or not they're true they care about whether or not they validate beliefs that they already hold so if they already hold beliefs that Europe is under attack from Muslim refugee migration that's going to destroy their culture and rape their women and all this other stuff then if the president says Look, something terrible that fits in with all of your preconceived notions happened in Sweden. They don't care if it turns out that that didn't actually happen in Sweden because they'll usually shift to, well, but it happens a lot or it happened before in Germany and maybe he got confused or, you know, it happened so much they didn't even notice it. Or they'll come up with some rationalization because what it's not about. It's not about truth or logic or positions. You know, politics is not about policy because, I mean, look, you've got a president who doesn't actually have any positions. You got <laughs> elected anyway, right? It, politics is about how you make people feel, how they feel about you, how they feel about your opponent. It's its very visceral, human, instinctual stuff. And we need to recognize that, you know, that for a lot of people who are supportive of the president or who were supportive of the last president or the president before that president, they are so attached to the idea of that president or the ideas that that president embodies for them that evidence is not usually going to work, at least not by itself. You know, that's the thing is Aristotle used to talk about the three prongs of um, rhetoric you have logos, uh, ethos and pathos. Logos is the logic. You do have to have your facts, but you also have to have the ethos. You have to have you have to be believable. People have to believe that you're you're honest and you have some integrity. And then the pathos. You have to you have to tap into people's emotions. You have to make them feel the argument too. And you don't want to have too much of any one, but you can't just rest on one. So there's no way you're ever going to help A Trump supporter Learn to be a libertarian By pointing out that Trump is wrong Or that Trump is lying That won't work by itself You have to get to Trump is lying And this is bad for you and your community Because it's creating something That you have strong feelings about That you don't want to have You have to take it that next step If you want to be effective
1: Yeah Well um, why don't you tell everybody how, how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the party or just have some questions for you? Sure.
3: Um, so if you want to get find out more about the party, go to lp.org. There's a great place to sign up, to join, to get on the email list. Um, you can find me on, on Twitter at at nsarwark. I'm on Facebook. I think it's Facebook slash nsarwark. I'm on Instagram. I want to say it's probably nsarwark. Snapchat's NSARWARC. Uh Or you can write me, email, chair at lp.org.
1: Great. And we really appreciate you coming on tonight and taking your questions and some of our listener questions. And we hope to have you back again soon. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank, Thank you guys for having me. Have a work. wonderful night. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Keep J. up all the all good right. work.
3: Bye-bye. Right. Good night.
1: Well, gentlemen, we're going to um, just uh, talk really briefly here about some things. I think we covered a lot of the current stuff that's going on right now, but I, I did, I, Andy, I did want to get your opinion about the Trump-Sweden um, thing, um, just because I think it's hilarious that Fox News had a guy on that was supposed to be the national security advisor, and he uh, turned out to be uh, fake. By some, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, Fake that, news. Sort of, that sort
3: of thing happens. Um, it's funny, and they'll take their knocks for it. They deserve it, but uh, I don't know if that's a whole lot. Uh, the fact that Trump said that apparently in reference to a something he had seen reported on Fox the previous night, was you know, I mean, that's that's Trump. I don't know what else I, I feel like there's been so much said about that phenomenon. I don't know what I have to add to it. But yeah, he's he freely just makes up facts and his supporters don't care. Um, he even brags about this. Um,
1: so I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, what, what I find funny is that like for, to, to use the Sweden thing as an example, when the media started calling him out on that, um, of course he immediately went in, went into the fake news gear and and then when it just it when it wouldn't go away because he thought, well, I'll call him fake news and then it will die, and it didn't so then he said, "Well, I wasn't talking about last night, I was talking about things that have happened over time, and then they went back and they said, "No, no, no no, you specifically said last night so then he referenced the Fox News special on um, immigration in Sweden, which was riddled mm-hmm. with um, untruths. And, and I mean, you know, so, um, Jim Carrey from Liar Liar couldn't have done a better job of being dishonest <laughs> about it. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I, I saw a comment on Twitter that kind of summed it up for me, which is don't get into a quality-of-life statistics battle with Scandinavia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: True. But, but you know, that's, I that's think about Trump, Trump, before before we move too much on, I mean, I, I think that people, a lot of people down here in the South, Louisiana voted for him, you know, overwhelmingly, and, and a lot of other Southern states do. They look at Trump as like a life preserver. They don't think, they don't rationalize anything, they don't need to rationalize anything. They're holding on to Trump like Trump is going to save their life. And they don't—they don't even hear this stuff. That's why Trump says fake news. That fits in perfect with them. They don't have to even hear anything else. But Trump is our lifesaver.
1: Yeah, I had somebody—I had somebody tell me when I posted one of those articles about Trump um, banning CNN and the New York Times from his press conference, and they said, "Well, those networks lie, and they lie about Trump, so he has every right to ban them." ...from his press conference, and I said, well, what about freedom of the press? And the guy writes back and says, well, that's only for honest journalism. You know, well, who gets to decide that? Do the Trump supporters get to
3: decide? I just think it's hilarious that the president who's, you know, made... He's letting the White House be run by Breitbart and is a huge fan of Alex Jones... Is going to complain <laughs> about CNN and the New York Times being fake news.
0: Mm-hmm. I think so.
3: I think hat tweeted, you know, at CNN and the New York Times. Have you tried doing any stories about Kim Trails and gay frogs? That seems to help.
0: Yeah. Gay frogs.
3: Uh, that was yeah. Jones. That's one of his. The chemicals in the water are turning the frogs gay.
2: Okay, Andy. Uh, I got an important question. I got an important question for Andy. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna are you gonna run for president in 2020? <laughs> and who's gonna be your vice presidential candidate?
3: Uh, I am not even eligible to run for president in 2020.
2: Uh, I think
3: okay, I well, whose
2: campaign th- are you gonna run? 20, I, to I,
3: I, I I I mean I've made no secret of the fact that I want Justin Amash to run as Libertarian, and you know even or even if he runs in the primary Republican primary first and then switches or whatever. I mean I I. I think he's at the top of the list of people I'd be pretty happy to see. Um, I don't know. There's some other problems. If he, if he doesn't do that or we don't end up getting another big office holder or somebody like that, I mean, there's some other people in the movement. There's a lot of people who think Andy we do that. Andy, Andy,
2: that's, that's great news. Do you will, will, will you think Amash has even considered, would he considered running it? Oh, I yeah, mean, Bernie right. became a Democrat to run well, no. I mean, I think
3: he's definitely well aware of the possibility, and he's well aware of the LP and who we are. And, you know, he. It, I, I don't know. I don't have any pin to Justin Amash's inner circle. I don't know what his thought process on the matter is. I know he's been very good at staying critical of Trump and not being like, you know, for example, Rand Paul, who's all of a sudden we've got to roll over because it's a Republican president. Um, and I think that's serving him well. I, I don't know. Maybe he plans to run for Senate at some point. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, he has toyed pretty openly with the possibility of running for president. And I think he's probably going to do that at some point. Um, Hopefully, let him do it right now as a
2: libertarian. That's a great career move. You know, you have to be well, a senator to get the money from the Democratic I mean, Republicans. so far out yet. I mean, we're, you know, we're
3: still three years out before. I mean, I, we still have the midterms at least to get through in 2018. Okay, well, you can
2: say that. You can say that, but think about it like this. Trump is toast. So we've got an open presidency.
3: Yeah, maybe. Don't you think? We'll, I mean,
2: we got an open presidency. Uh, we got an open seat.
3: Possibly, yeah, or it could even be, you know, running against Pence. Who knows? Um, uh, But I think, you know, I think a lot of people would be very happy to see Hamash run as a Libertarian. A lot of people would be happy to see him run as a Republican to try to primary Trump in the Republican primary. So I don't think. Oh, I would
0: hate that. I would hate
1: that. I know. I know. I'm, I know who won't be running against Donald Trump in 2020 because he's made that mm. very clear, at least three times that I'm aware of, and that is somebody that Andy just mentioned, Rand Paul. I mean, he was. Oh, a
2: chief, dude. So he is dick sucking chief, huh? <laughs>
3: I, I, yeah. I, don't think, I don't
2: think Rand Paul
3: is ever going to
4: run president again. He could you know who might run? You know who'd be an interesting candidate? And that would be James Mattis, the general. He could run, and his slogan could be Mad Dog 2020. That's a <laughs> <laughs> Keep that
2: idea in place. I love that. That's
1: a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Rand, Rand Paul's reasoning. For why he won't challenge Trump is because he said if you challenge the Republican nominee, it will make him look weak and will give the Democrats an opportunity to get in there and possibly win. And the person that was interviewing him said, well, number one, Trump is weak, and number two, he should be challenged. And, of course, you know, Rand Paul did everything but say, no, he's the greatest thing that's ever that's ever been elected. He might as well have oh, said that. Re- that <laughs>
2: that reminds me of so something my father used to tell me. So good. He said, "You why?" Or it's not, it's not just a father. It was just like, it's like a common saying. It's like, um, why keep your mouth shut and and, and look stupid when you could open your mouth and remove all and doubt. remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well.
4: And
0: yeah, Rob um,
2: has not been doing any
3: favors. Uh Justin Mosh has been, but, you know, I it's I mean, we can guess that maybe, you know, I think that the chance the avenues there for that to happen, but who knows? I mean, he's still gotta get reelected himself maybe or decide if he's even running or whatever mm-hmm. here in twenty eighteen. So, um I mean I don't think I don't think any of the real back-and-forth jockeying over it for either the Libertarian nomination or who's going to run and all that sort of stuff. I don't think mm-hmm. that will even start until January 2019. And hopefully
2: we have a, a huge monster candidate like Justin Amash come in and there won't be any question about who's running. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be
3: an advantage of it, yeah. I do think he would quite quickly become the de facto prumptive mm-hmm. nominee and nobody of consequence challenger for the nomination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, um you know, um I I listening to what was going on with um with Justin Amash at his town hall. He had some some people that were not happy with him uh when he made that comment about if if Trump's travel ban had been in place when my parents were trying to come here, they would have been denied entry, and a bunch of people yelled out, right. good, good, you know.
0: So <laughs> well, who knows that's what's going to... that's gonna... something else that's
1: you know, kind of the cherry on top that
3: frankly does help make him the perfect Trump foil is that he's, you know, a conservative of a sorts Republican who's the son of a Syrian and a Palestinian. <laughs> um and he's, you know, he he doesn't, like, embrace the identity politics of it. He has made that point. Um, and, you know, it's true. It's, that's <laughs> a, a pretty, I mean, he there in Michigan, of course, not that unusual. He's a large Arab populated, mostly Christian population like he is. Um, but...
2: Uh, Man, that's <laughs> the perfect candidate. And he should run. He owes it. He owes it to uh, yeah. his parents.
3: You know, to his the parents. Other, so here's the other thing that's up with Justin Amash is I've heard supposedly that he's not that interested in, like, he doesn't want to do the rock pulpit bit and stay in Congress for the next 30 years. Um, and if you're looking to leave on a high note, it'll be, you know, what, five or six terms by 2020 for him. Um, then, you know, doing a, a third party LP campaign like that would be great. I mean, I think Justin Amash uh would do great. I think he's one of the few candidates uh that would potentially meet or exceed uh what we did in the twenty sixteen uh in terms of vote total and coverage and all the rest of it. Uh, even a chance he could get into the debates. So, um and he's I mean libertarians quite justifiably love him. Um, you know, he's very much thinks of himself and openly identifies as a libertarian and pretty much you know, with maybe a few things here or there. I mean, I think a lot less quibbles than people could find with a lot of other high-profile examples. Um, he's pretty down the line libertarian on issues. So,
0: you know, I mean, maybe
3: he'll do that. Maybe, who knows, maybe we'll have some businessmen come in. Maybe we'll have some candidate who does really well running for something in 2018, and they end up being the nominee. I'm not <laughs> concerned about it being anybody who ran against Gary in 2016, uh, Austin or McAfee or Daryl or any of the rest of them coming back. I don't I don't think that's anything to be too concerned about. Um, I think it'll be, you know, we'll see. Um, some people are talking about Larry Sharp. I don't know. We'll, I haven't really made up my mind what I think about that yet. Um, but there's, I mean, Larry there's a, Sharp
2: is no Justin Amash.
3: That's damn cool. Hey, well, yeah. <laughs>
2: That's kind of. A, I
3: mean, I'm pretty sure even Larry would admit that. So, um, I mean, I think just about like anybody, anybody else we could talk about would probably step aside if Justin did uh, do that. Now, here's here's the way but, this
2: works, okay? Just so you know, because I had my my I had a good education. My dad and his law partner, they would, they would sit me in there and listen. I get to hear how you how you do it. When you want somebody to run for office, you get all the big shots you can find together to put up as much money as possible. And you send one guy over there to offer him the money to say, we'll back you this much money if you just do this for us.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, um,
3: definitely, I'm sure the budgetary projections and, uh, what would be possible uh, to be raised for, the libertarian campaign would certainly weigh heavily into his consideration. Um, I mean, in that regard, that's where Gary Johnson and, uh, you know, and Bill Weld, frankly, a lot, Bill Weld, helped us a lot. I mean, the leverage all the libertarian campaigns, including Gary in 2012, raised between $1 and $2 million.
0: We did,
3: I want to say, 12 maybe 15 with the, all the PACs included. Um, and, you know, that. Obviously, that's not enough to run a winning national campaign, no, but it's a decent chunk of change to to play around with. And I think Justin, if he ran, could quite easily get 15, maybe even 20, $25 million behind it, um, not just for major donors, but also grassroots. I'm sure he would have, you know, money-type things, just like they did for Ron Paul, and that would raise a lot of money for him. Um, so, you know, you know, I mean, I think definitely uh, – Fifteen to twenty to twenty-five million dollars is is certainly possible uh, in terms of what a Mosh twenty twenty campaign could raise in the LP.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to if
2: he, could, if he could raise it on the front end. If he could raise it on the front, because yeah, you know, I don't think Trump didn't raise well, that much either. To do. I mean, I mean, you have
1: to. I mean you can you can have certainly it helps if you have a lot
3: up front but that's always just going to be kind of seed money on terms of what you know what you expect to bring in once you're off and operating um but you can have reading reasonable estimates for what you can range of what you can expect um and you know, Justin Amash has a very good Fundraising network by the way so He he, na- he raises a lot of national Money from movement libertarians Already it's how he won a very hard hard Thought primary in 2014 against the chamber Of commerce back in that um, i am I, I, giving him Money yeah I know Justin he, has, he gets A lot of, and you know people will say Oh he gets a lot of out of state money Is if That's some scandal but no there's a lot of people Nationally who like him and support His message and and yeah he's got a he's got a pretty good fundraising shop
0: Mhm
2: All right well what's coming up um, next? what's what do we who do, we have, as a, who do we have as
1: the next the what's coming up when
2: Tomorrow what's the next uh, big story guys you don't know anything unless you know the future if you know what's coming <laughs> well oh the speech Andy the speech is stock market
3: going to lose a trillion or two trillion tomorrow? Oh, I don't. I don't know if it's going to have any big swing. At this point, I think people have just stopped taking what he says seriously to the point that it'll just be kind of another clown show, except this time
4: it'll be in before Congress, and so that'll be kind of funny to watch. <laughs> but, and there won't be any Volkswagens involved. <sighs>
2: but, <laughs> I mean, my dad is still waiting for his Volkswagen check. I guess Trump let him off, but he ain't got to pay for it. The D- diesel Volkswagen he bought.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future with Justin Amash. And who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Every day is an exciting new challenge when President Trump um, is, is in office. And it's a challenge because we have to figure out how are we going to make fun of him today. Um <laughs> so um I mean the the hair jokes are getting a little old, you know. <laughs> Thank God they it found keeps going or- with material.
2: They found an orange alligator in South Carolina.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: All right guys. Orange so alligator
1: good... Yeah. It's been a it's been a good show and um We'll do it again and let's see what's the next date of the next show. Um it's uh March the 6th, so that is next week. Uh we'll do it again. So um I'll keep you guys posted on the guest, and thanks for being here tonight and like I said at the start of the show, I know how to get you here on time. Just bring on Nick Starwark so maybe we'll do it <laughs> again.
2: It was <laughs> an Just honor to have you guys. All you right. have a good night.
4: Have you have a good night, gentlemen. Bye.
2: Bye. All right, show Andrew. Uh